Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. And I almost forgot to get my mic going and here we go. <laughs> my name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. And I created this podcast to really talk about humanizing the workplace, transforming leaders, um, create workplaces where people aren't just walking, people are walking the talk. So they're not just saying this is who we are. Actions speak louder than words. And today's guest is Brittany J. Harris. Brittany is the Vice President of Learning and Innovation at the Winters Group, and she's an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So Brittany, we can't, st we can't start the show without talking about what's happening, the reality right now. We are facing a global pandemic. And I'm curious for you, what's been going on with you? How has this been impacting your life, both personally and professionally? Yeah, so, um, so very, very, very interesting times. Um, certainly a new normal. Um, sometimes when we kick off, you know, sessions around this work, we'll share like aspects of our identity that are like super top of mind and that influence, you know, who we are, how we show up. And so oftentimes I'll share that, um, you know, I am a black woman, I'm a mother, um, which has been certainly top of mind just during this uh, context, the impact of coronavirus. I'm a granddaughter that has been top of mind. I shared that I was at a, a conference a few weeks ago, probably right before um, a lot of the kind of like shelter in place um, mandates and a lot of the, the closings and, and um, while it wasn't or the impact of coronavirus wasn't as top of mind, I was thinking about it and I shared with the folks in my session that I hadn't necessarily thought about um, perhaps my identity as a granddaughter yeah. as much as I did while I was there because for me I kept thinking like okay I'm in this space you know I'm exposed I have to go back home to you know my grandparents um, and so that's kind of like been one way I've been very, very protective of my grandparents. And so not only am I, you know, caring for my son, um, in ways that are obvious, but very, very been just, uh, I'm thinking about how, you know, you know, we can continue to just protect them from all that's going on doing groceries. Right. Yes. I feel like I've been at the, I don't know about you, but I've been at the grocery market in the last two weeks than I have ever been. I feel like. <laughs> consecutively yeah. um, as a mom. And so uh, my son is three and on a um, full-time basis, I am a remote employee. So I kind of ha have like working from home down pat in normal circumstances, yeah. but obviously with um, just childcare closings, um, that has been definitely an emotional and mental, even physical toll. Um, I shared on Twitter yesterday, so uh, one of my um, colleagues in the diversity space talked about how she's realizing um, this week they've had the most sort of toddler age coworkers ever on their like webcam, you know, <laughs> and I sent her a picture of me um, having a one-to-one -one with one of the young women on my team and Braxton, who's my son, like literally like, man, I'm going to look in my face, but it's yeah. like, it's the reality, right? Yes. Um, which is why I've been all the more in, uh, you know, in a, thankful for a culture where, you know, that can happen and not feel stigmatized, right? Yeah. Um, where I still feel like um, even for my colleagues who don't have children, there's a certain degree of empathy that they're modeling during this time. Um, yeah. Each of us obviously coming to or experiencing this impact very differently. And so yeah. 
in the personal space, obviously like the motherhood, granddaughterhood, just life. Um, but then in the professional space, a lot of our clients, right? A lot of our clients are organizations and leaders who are really trying to rethink sort of um, solutions and come up with solutions on how they can ensure their employees are well, while also maintaining business functions and their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's kind of like the high level overview of all that's been going on with a whole bunch of like, you know, details that I'm missing, but it's certainly, um, it's certainly a bit of time. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is, I, I, you know, I'm going to share vulnerability too. I mean, it's, um, it took a little bit of time to get into a rhythm with the kids being at home. Seven and 10-year-old, I have to say 10-year-old is pretty easy. My seven-year-old is our spirited child and he requires um, a little bit thinking outside of the box strategies. And, but I am happy to say it's, it's kind of beautiful when you give yourself some grace and self-compassion <laughs> and recognize it's not going to happen overnight. And it's, it's really cool. Like once I did that, I actually felt that I was able to access more creativity. So we've actually gone into this fun little pattern where he really deals well with structure. So we're pretending it's school. So I'm now Mrs. Harcourt when I'm teacher, I ring the bell for recess. I ring the bell for lunch. He is loving it because he feels the structure. So it's actually making him feel calmer and more present. And it, who would have known, right? But it, I didn't get to experiment to that until I said, guess what? I don't need to have this all figured out yet. It's going to take some time and I'm going to be okay with that. At the beginning, there might be a little bit more technology time than they normally have. It's not going to be forever. They're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So it's, it's interesting because right after, um, shortly after a lot of the organizations decided to adapt kind of like remote um, work from home policies or adaptations in their workforce, there was like this influx of like checklists or like think piece articles around, you know, how to be good at remote working, how to work from home. And I, I pinned one on my own and, and led with the fact that even as someone who is work from home, who works from home on a regular basis, part of me coming into this and coming into this well and realistically is, is anticipating disruption and anticipating this distraction and being yeah. self-compassionate about that. Yeah. Um, perhaps not expecting, you know, the same level of like productivity and innovation right. and, and thinking because this is such a, a big, you know, a big moment in time in history that's going to impact us differently. And so I love that you talked about just extending oneself grace, right? um to in, in recognizing that this is a a messy this you know we're going to be experiencing experiencing a range of emotions this is going to impact me differently and then moreover it's going to impact my teams differently yeah it's going to impact you know and based on who they are you know yes. and um how we're all situated in in our world so so yeah very 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 i think even opportune time for organizations to think about how like given this time, we can be even more intentional about our strides towards inclusion and even creating space where our, our employees and teams can be their, you know, best selves. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place for us to start um, today to get a little bit more into this conversation, Brittany. Um, tell me a little bit more around the work that you are doing in this space and um, what you're really passionate about in terms of some of the progress you're seeing. Yeah, so um, the Winters Group is a um, diversity and inclusion consulting firm. So we uh, support organizations, large, small, nonprofit, for-profit, 
um, in their diversity, equity, and inclusion journeys. And so in my role and um, on my team, we focus on education and learning, right? And so um, we actually stay away from the, the word training. Yes. If you have read a lot of the mainstream think pieces on diversity training, we oftentimes get a bad rap. Yeah. And that a lot of times diversity training has been implemented as check the box or one off or like, oh, let's just get people in the room, hopefully change their minds, right? Um, whereas education and learning is really about capacity building. Um, it's about competency building. It's about shifting perspectives and like facilitating um, connections, which can happen on like a one off. Right. And so our work is really, so I hear a dog in the background. I know it's not funny. It's taking me back to memory. I used to have a dog and this was a reality for me. Um, <laughs> another reality for me. Anywho, um, really supporting clients and understanding that if we're going to do this work and do this work well, we have to approach it strategically. Right. And so this means actual developmental um, approaches to our learning segments that are across time, right? And so yes. we have clients that we're supporting um, in their learning journeys. We're taking leaders um, in different segments of the workforce through like 18 month or 12 to 18 month development programs, right? Um, when I think about in the context of what's going on, right? And so uh, we have seen in the media and research that a lot of, um, sort of health or, or um, health inequity, right? So the conversation around healthcare, um, inequities and in just access to information, resources, um, how low paid or low wage workers are experiencing this, all of which go back to, at least our level of understanding, um, goes back to how we understand things like differences and culture and identity and systems, right? Um, and so our work is around empowering leaders to even know what to do when this stuff happens, right? Yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, a few days ago, or actually last week, rather, we did a, a virtual lab around centering equity and justice yeah. during times like this. And so that means before we respond to coronavirus, actually thinking about who will be most impacted when we're responding. You know yes. what I mean? Who in our workforce is oftentimes at the margins of our policy, right? Yes. Um, that we need to be taking into account so that our policies and practices and the ways in which we act are equitable. And by equitable, I mean meeting people where they are, taking into account you know, differences in access, taking into account um, differences in things like their access to power, right? Or, or privilege that they may hold. Yeah. Um, and so in short, yeah, our, our, our work is around getting people individuals to think differently so that we can enact inclusion right because sometimes yes. it can seem very elusive and in the sky and like oh yes. it's so fluffy um our capacity to enact inclusive policies and practices has everything to do with what we know about ourselves about others about the um our social and global context about history yeah and so we seek to fill that gap for individuals and leaders yeah, and it, it makes me think of, um, especially again, with what's going on now and, and communicating and uh, because communication is going to look a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be face-to-face. -face. Um, when you think about inclusive leadership, what are some of the really important qualities and behaviors that come with inclusive leadership? So one thing that um, we oftentimes will um, offer uh, as a, you know, when we talk about this work as a capacity build, capacity building and in the context of a skill set, 
um, is cultural competence, right? Yeah. And so inclusive leaders model um, cultural competence and a sort of a quick definition of what cultural competence is, is the extent to which we can recognize, understand, accept, and then adapt across differences, right? Yes. Um, one example that we uh, oftentimes use and is very prevalent in the workplace. And so when we think about um, how we define who is a leader, all right, leadership material, executive presence, some of the behaviors, one thing that oftentimes come back, comes up is communication style, right? Yes. Or things like, you know, making eye contact, right? Those are behaviors um, that have cultural implications. And so a good leader, right, may say or engage with someone on their team who perhaps doesn't make eye contact and interpret that as, you know, perhaps they don't have the drive, you know, he, mm. she, they're not making eye contact, perhaps they don't have drive, or perhaps there's a lack of confidence. An inclusive leadership a leader is going to be a little bit more curious, right? Mm. What else may be going on there? Um, or how may my lens or interpretation of eye contact or good leadership or executive presence be influencing how I'm seeing this person? Mm. An inclusive leader may point to things like, you know what? I know that um, the communication style is a cultural pattern. And mm -hmm. so in some cultures, not making eye contact is a form of reverence, right? And not lack of confidence or dishonesty. And so I'd say that inclusive leaders have this ability to discern, right, mm -hmm. cultural mm -hmm. patterns mm -hmm. um, and take this posture of curiosity before they judge. Yeah. I'll, um, you know, I, I don't think it's possible for us to, as human beings to be non-judgmental, right. but I do think that we can be really, really intentional about privileging curiosity over judgment. Um, and so that I would definitely say, especially in the context of these times, empathy, right? Mm -hmm. And I, um, you know, I think there's, there's obviously a, a huge body of work around um, empathy. Brene Brown is one of my um, um, leader crushes who, who <laughs> me too. We, I was at a conference and we, I said, Oh, there's my BFF on stage. And everybody's like, what do you mean? She's my BFF. Oh. I'm like, I'll share her with you. She's everybody's BFF. <laughs> right? like, um, and so when I think about empathy, particularly during this time, these times, it's really striving to, um, connect with people based on what we have experienced and our experiences and um, uh, what we know about ourselves and using that as a way to connect and understand, you know, other people's experiences. And so I, I tend not to use the colloquialism walking in someone else's shoes because I think that like kind of can, there, there's a line that you can, um, there's a line there and that I will never ever really know what it's like to be in your shoes. Yeah. Um, but I can use something about my experience, how I yeah. felt to yeah. connect with something yes. that one may be experiencing. And so even so when we think about the impact of the coronavirus, um, everyone may not have, um, you know, uh, ex maybe experiencing this as a parent or a caregiver um, or experiencing this in the same way. But as a leader, being able to being open to understanding, right, and leveraging, leveraging um, that as a point of connection for those who you are, um, who you are, are, are leading. And if I had to give one more, so privileging curiosity over judgment and just sort of cultural competence, obviously modeling empathy. Um, I would also say, you know, um, authenticity and vulnerability, right? And so a big part of um, this work around inclusion and cultural competence is, is self-understanding, right? Yes. Who am I? And so this is yes. beyond 
uh, sort of those things that I associate with my personal identity, like being a mom and a creative, you know, obviously those social identities, you know, like being a black woman, but like, who am I as a cultural being, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the messages and values that, or, you know, cultural scripts that I have learned that influence how I show up, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's requisite to being able yes. to model authenticity and, yes. and vulnerability, actually being able to like, you know, name all of that, right? Um, our challenges, the things that perhaps we um, still struggle with as leaders, the unknown, which I think is big for yes. this, this yes. time and space that we're in. Yes. Um, and all of that, you know, starts with knowing and understanding self, right? Um, and in doing that work. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Doing yeah. the work too. Mm-hmm. I like what you just yeah. highlighted mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It yeah. is. It's work. spending time doing the work. If you're always go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. I'm such a proponent of it's not just doing, it's also being. Being is taking a step back mm-hmm. and asking yourself those questions and, and figuring out who, who you are and what is that conditioning and these beliefs that you don't, a lot of them, they're unconscious. You're not aware they're there, but if you don't take the time to yeah. dig in and see what they are. And I'm so, I mean, all of the areas that you spoke about, I, I'm so passionate about, but curiosity, everything starts to look different when you come from a place of curiosity. And um, I think it also, with everything that's going on in the world, whether it is right now or in the past as well, it can, t- it can take away some of that divisiveness, right? Take a step back. Even now, I've seen some of these camps, right? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you need to be doing this, like, like this kind of yelling, yelling, yelling at one and the other ones. Oh, you're being paranoid. Give it up. This again, back and forth. Let's take a step back and come from a place of curiosity. We're all seeing it from a different lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, 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 so it is. Um, curiosity, another thing that I was, I'm going to offer, I'm going to come back to that is, is just that being comfortable with, so being, but also like reflecting. And so I think that's a big part of the work that doesn't happen. We hear things and we really don't. And so even if it's, especially if it's something that is, um, we feel is at odds with what we believe, perhaps very like values laden. Yes. We don't even give ourselves enough space and time to reflect on what may be going on, how we're processing. There's this John Dewey quote that says, we don't learn by simply experiencing, we learn by reflecting on what we're experiencing, right? So I think that's particularly relevant when we're having conversations and we we do a lot of work around engaging in bold, inclusive conversations, right? And so difficult topics, race, religion, politics, right? Um, And key to that, yeah. And certainly what I think is important in this, in this space and time is, is actually giving one time to reflect, giving self time to reflect. How am I feeling? Why am I feeling? Um, what is it that I have learned prior to this that's influencing how I'm showing up, why I've taken this perspective? Am I even open to, um, you know, a different perspective? Why or why not? Um, am I seeking to debate or am I seeking to like actually dialogue? Right. Cause those are very two different things. Yes. Um, and then even just tracking, cause so I'm really big on boundaries. Right. So I, especially, um, oh, wow, that was weird. So I'm really big on, um, boundaries, especially during just times of like emotional stress or perhaps even yes. conflict. And so just even knowing as oneself in as much as I am open to different ideas and perspectives um where may I need to create boundaries you know for my own sort of like self-care right yes Um, because even for me as someone who is like heavily steeped in 
equity work and justice work and diversity work. I have to be careful what I, you know, how much I engage even in, you know, sort of like social media yeah. discussions and if, what I'm internalizing yeah. from the news, yeah. um, because that's all part of, uh, you know, that, that, that's all part of the work as, as well, like that self-work boundaries. Um, um, and so I would even offer that for, you know, folks who are, who are listening and, and, and um, engaged in whether it's social media, the, the news, just creating boundaries for oneself because you can still be engaged, mm-hmm. still stay aware and intentionally, um, you know, stay abreast that all is going on while also like setting boundaries for oneself. Yes. Yeah, I actually just wrote a post on that um, last week, and I was I was talking about constantly checking in with yourself and accessing what do you need right now. And I, I was recognizing that I was taking a full day off of social media, um, not not necessarily even just social media, the news, because I was noticing the the noise. It was just this like spinning, spinning. So taking that step back, um, Brittany. There's something else that you said, and I think is really important. I think it would be helpful um, just for I'm sure people know this, but I think it's an opportunity just to um, drive the point home again. Um, the, stink, the, stink, the distinction between debating and having a dialogue, because I've been seeing a lot of debating on social media and not a lot of dialoguing happening. So can you just um, emphasize that distinction for us? Yeah. And so I think one of the, one of the biggest distinctions that um, I would offer is that typically when we are coming into a debate, there is you know, sort of at the onset, this assumption that one side wins and the other loses. There's like this binary. Um, Someone's got to win, someone's got to lose. When we come into debate, we have this posture of, I'm going to change whomever's mind. Dialogue, from my perspective, is a bit different in that when you're having dialogue, we're coming into with this expectation that there is there isn't necessarily a, a sort of end game or answer or, or, or a final answer or someone losing, but we're trying to create shared understanding. And so I can actually accept that you have a different perspective and not agree with it. Yeah. That's dialogue, right? Yeah. Um, another thing that I think about is, is being comfortable with or being intentional about rather not coming in to necessarily make a point, right. Um, or to change someone's mind. But to really, again, take that posture of curiosity mm-hmm. and make a difference, right? By, you know, offering your own perspective. Again, not with the tent to shift. Yes. Or I think paradigm shifts um, can happen neutrally, right? I think paradigm mm-hmm. shifts can happen as we create shared meaning. But it shouldn't be the intent. I'm going to come into the conversation to change your mind. Yes. I think the fault in that is twofold in that you now create expectation, you know, you know, or uh, that you can control this person's thinking, which is, it can be to the detriment of your own, right? We can't control other people's thinking. We can influence, but we can't control. Mm -hmm. Um, And then likewise, you miss the opportunity to learn something different, right? Because there may be something, I'm not saying, and and I'm not saying this model works in all situations. Like there are like outlier conversations where there's things like yeah no that's that's wrong but for the most part um when engaging in in conversations we should strive right to dialogue um reach mutual or create shared meaning um be curious enough to to entertain a different perspective Mm -hmm. um, and recognize that the end game doesn't equal like win lose right 
um, but more so this sort of like reciprocal learning or mutual yes. learning, right? Yeah. That's how I would, um, that is how I would differentiate it. And I recognize that um, depending on the topic, that could be easier said, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think part of the work is even assessing one's readiness to get to a point where, you know what, am I even ready to dial up? So I don't know that we do a lot of, even in the mainstream or in our personal and professional lives, I don't know if we do the self work of sort of just assessing readiness, individual readiness. Yes. Should I even, am I even in a posture to have this conversation in a way that'll yeah. be effective, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of our work as well, uh, building the skill set. To, to do that, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that actually leads into to my next question for you, which was really around um, what does it look like to sometimes have bolder, more inclusive conversations, right? I, I mean, I think Brene Brown has done a great job of talking about a lot of this when she's talking about courageous leadership. It's um, sometimes going in and having really difficult conversations and holding up the mirror and saying, this is what's going on. Um, for you, what, what does that look like to start having more of those bolder conversations? So, um, so good question. So a lot of our work has been around... Um, facilitating sessions and really increasing individual capacity to engage in bold inclusive conversations. The model for bold inclusive conversations is actually written or um, based off of a book that um, our president and CEO wrote, Mary Frances Winters. It's called, We Can't Talk About That at Work, How to Talk About Race, Religion, Politics, and Other Polarizing Topics. And essentially the, mo the model posits um, very specific prerequisites that are necessary if we are to engage in conversations that are related to traditionally polarizing topics. And so the first part of the model posits that in order for us to even begin to have these conversations, there's a certain degree of cultural self and other understanding work that we need to do. And so really, you know, taking stock, and I'm, I'm really, you know, whether it's a journal, um, whether it's, uh, um, you know, some people choose to, you know, video um, or, um, uh, you know, blog, but really taking stock of one's cultural identity, meaning my own, like, who am I? Um, again, what are some of the belief systems, cultural scripts that influence how I might approach this conversation? Um, what don't I know? And so when we think about our cultural others, right, what is some informational research that I would need to engage in in order for me to understand my cultural others from their perspective, right? No one's really doing this pre-work before they jump into conversations. Yeah. It's kind of like this assumption of readiness, like let's jump into it. <laughs> we wonder why they're, you know, they're for not, right? And so cultural self and other understanding is key. And then we get into or um, uh, suggest sort of assessing, and I mentioned this earlier, individual readiness, right? And so mm. what work have I done to ensure that I can talk about differences in person and, 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 you know, before one can really talk about differences, there has to be some degree of like exposure and experience with it. And so there's this 4E model um, that I would offer um, for folks to think about when assessing individual readiness, right? And so that first E is exposure. And yeah. so to what extent, you know, does one even have contact with differences on a day-to-day? -day? There are studies, limitless studies that show that, you know, most of us, our personal networks are very homogenous, right? Yeah. Just think of from yourself, like how many people of different cultures have crossed your doorstep in the yeah. last six months, right? Or, you know, um, to what extent um, you've had, con you know, connected with individuals or been in the presence of individuals who are different from you across the dimensions of difference. 
for many, it's going to be like low. And so that first C is about exposure, just contact. But we can't stop there because just contact or being in the midst of difference doesn't necessarily mean we're experiencing it, which is the second D. And so being really intentional about facilitating and creating for oneself um, transformative experiences across differences. And so that means actually perhaps going to, you know, a faith community um, Mm -hmm. or a service that is not, you know, of your own. Mm-hmm. That may look like engaging with someone in the workplace for lunch, um, perhaps who you haven't engaged with, right? And there's some trust building that needs to go there, obviously. Yeah. That may look like being intentional about going to events, right? Um, organizational events or um, cultural events that have nothing to do with you, not going to necessarily insert your voice or perspective, but just to be and listen and to learn. And so that second E is really about taking exposure to the next level and creating experiences from it. Um, the third E is education, because you know we can expose ourselves and have these experience, but obviously there's context that's necessary mm-hmm. um, in order for us to continue to broaden our understanding. And so when I think about education, I think about reading, you know, books, magazines, um, listening to podcasts. Um, engaging in learning experiences that perhaps really challenge you, right? Mm. Um, reading from a perspective or an author who has a very different background than your own, um, being intentional about engaging in even like news sources that are different from your own, um, and just really pushing yourself out your mental comfort zone, right? And that fourthy, you know, and empathy we mentioned earlier is empathy. And our, and, our, and our position is that you can never get to a point of enacting or modeling empathy if you're not, um, if you're not uh, doing the work around those three E's. And so in and of itself, we really see that in those four E's really being a big part of even having the posture to engage in bold, inclusive conversations. And so, you know, I'll oftentimes offer folks in sessions, let's, let's do some action planning. What can you commit to? Three things you can commit mm-hmm. to to increase your exposure? Yeah. What are three things you can commit to to increase your experiences? What are three things you can commit to to really be intentional about education? And then yes. what are some behaviors you can model to bring you closer to, to, to enacting empathy, um, which are critical to approaching you know, these conversations. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll offer when you're actually having conversations, right? And this is a big part of the model as well is um, finding common ground. Mm-hmm. Right? back to that debate and dialogue piece and that um, one of the things that we know and social psychologists could probably you know support this is that when issues are very values laden and we're polarized on them not even like fact or data can get us like out of sort of what we believe in fact we'll actually seek data to like confirm what we believe right bias. so part of engaging in both inclusive conversations is you know, at the onset of a conversation, especially after you've done this pre-work, self and other understanding, done the, you know, the, you know, four E's, is striving to find common ground in a conversation. What are some of those things that we can agree on? Those statements, those values we can agree on, right? So yes. I agree that in the context of this conversation, we may be able to agree that, you know, we care about and want to protect our families, right? We may be able to agree, agree on the fact that we want all of our team members and employees to feel like they belong. And then that's when you get into probably differences in how we see that happening, right? Mm-hmm. We want to jump right into differences without necessarily coming to agreement on 
or finding common ground and creating shared meaning, which is a big part of approaching um, bold, inclusive conversations, right? Um, what's the self work? How do we begin to assess our readiness with employees? And then when we dialogue, how do we emphasize first those elements or those aspects we can um, come to common ground on? Um, I feel like I've been talking for a long time. Uh, oh, I think I was just going to say, I hope everybody who's listening right now, you're grabbing a, a pen and paper and we think about those four E's. Write down what are those three action items for each of those categories and the four E's that you're going to start working on. And, and, and you know me, if I was your coach and I was talking to you right now, uh, not only do I want the action items, I want to know when are you going to do that? Are you going to do that this week? Are you going to do this by the end of next month? Like to start to put this into action, right? So I, I think it was really great what you gave, Brittany, because um, very concrete examples of things people can start doing right now to get more comfortable in these different areas. So wonderful, wonderful. Um, Brittany, one thing that comes up for me is um, I always like hearing stories. Uh, if you can tell me about, you know, some of the clients or organizations, one that might come to mind to you of some, a company that you're, you're really proud of with a, an example of them, you know, kind of that before and after, after they've done this work, something that might have showed up in their in their organization where they are being a lot more inclusive than they would have been previously. Does something come up for you? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you um I'll give you an example of a client that we um that we are working with. Um, and so at the onset of some of our um, or most of our learning and education interventions, we use a tool called the intercultural development inventory. And so this inventory helps us um, do two things. One, sort of just assess the group's level of cultural competence and figure out what learning intervention may look like or development plan look like. Yeah. And it also puts us in a position at the end of an engagement to see how the group has moved along mm -hmm. in their understanding um, of, you know, cultural competence, this work, and, you know, how they have grown in that skill set. That's why the whole, like, framing this as a skill set and capacity building is so important. And so we work with a um, one organization. Um, they're actually in the, uh, uh, let's say, religious, uh, a religious, uh, what do we call it, conference. So like a, a religious conference. And so they identified um, a cohort of about 15 cultural ambassadors yeah. who would be responsible for taking like their new learning back into the organization, back into their um, uh, different sort of like sub-conferences and obviously into their, their, their churches, right? Okay. Um, and so the whole idea was if we can empower this group, we can begin to, you know, reach, you know, our broader population. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we did at the onset was um, administer the IDI, get an understanding of where the group was, we developed a 12-month program for this for this group and so they met quarterly in person but in the between time they had virtual sessions still facilitator-led in addition to sort of like peer-to-peer -peer, um, connecting learning um, there's like a reflection guide that we developed for them and so again very intentional about it um, and so at the end of the AT, at the at the end of the 12 months we re-administered um, the IDI to actually track the growth or the development rather of this group. Okay. Um, I'm gonna offer a little bit more kind of like, because I think this is so um, important context, I'm gonna offer a little bit of the research behind the okay. tool. 
yeah. to make the, the, the picture a little bit more clear. Okay. And so this tool helps us understand sort of like worldviews or perspectives across differences. And so one of the common um, worldviews when people take this tool is minimization. Mm. Minimization is very well-intentioned, um, but can actually be an impediment when our goal is inclusion and equity, and that a minimization worldview may overemphasize um, similarities and undermine very important differences, right? Okay. And so this may sound like, you know, things like, oh, um, and, and, and sort of day-to-day -day colloquialisms like I don't see color or I treat everybody the same or you know I don't you know I, I don't th those differences don't matter we're all humankind right mm -hmm. which is very altruistic in nature right? right um and if we're not careful a minimization mindset we can miss those differences that make a difference and so in my earlier example when I talked about curiosity and being able to point to that across different cultures certain things look differently yeah. That would be very difficult at a minimization mindset to do. Right. Um, and so imagine someone tasked with leading inclusion and equity efforts that are meant to attract different communities. A minimization mindset can be an impediment. And so majority of this group was at a minimization mindset. And there were also others that were in earlier mindsets, denial and polarization, which are a little differently different in that those mindsets, you typically have little to no exposure to difference, little to no okay. understanding, and so very difficult, um, you know, to lead across differences. Most of the group was there. At the end of the engagement, this is like the power of like measuring and really approaching this stuff as a, as a capacity building. At the end of the 12 months, we re-administered, and the group had moved along. And so we had a good uh, chunk of the group in what we call acceptance and adaptation. Mm. And so acceptance is when we've moved beyond minimization into acceptance where now we're curious enough, Chris, to actually start to ask the questions like, you know, what else may be going here? I may, I may struggle with like coming up with solutions, but at least I'm curious enough and I'm asking and I have enough context to know that something else, whether it's cultural, right? Whether it's influenced by experiences may be going on. And so I can use that in how I come up with policies and practices and engagement efforts. And then mm. adaptation is when we get even more sophisticated. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, um, the salsa and that I, it's like that whole conscious, like I'm, I'm, I'm unconsciously competent, right? Yes. And that, no, it, it comes to me, right? Yeah. Um, not just be curious, but, but now know how to act on that curiosity. And so with this group, it was very, it was a very powerful um, and very practical way to yeah. show growth. Yes. And not just understanding concepts, right? But shifting our mindset. Yeah. Which is the start point for this work. And so if I had to leave folks with anything um, as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion work is, you know, and as much as we love to get to action and like, let's just set hiring targets and let's just throw out these programs and let's just, you know, do this award and go to this conference, yeah. our ability to really enact inclusion has everything to do with. Um, the extent to which and our capacity to understand differences effectively and not just differences like oh I see I, I recognize differences but know what to do with them and think critically about them and then ultimately lead and adapt across them and so that client um, comes to mind because this is you know again a large conference or conference 12 cultural coaches that as a result of this organization's intention and obviously ongoing commitment and developmental effort 
they are now more primed to go back into the organization and do the work with others, right? Yes. Goal, right, for us to learn more as much as we can and then obviously use our power to now go back into the systems where we have power and yeah. shift them, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that one comes to mind. Um, and um, I'm trying to think of a what else. I will say, so we've been doing um, a lot more work around um, what we're calling like mapping the intersection. And so okay. in our work, there has been this, um, this school of thought or sort of the uh, typical like corporate diversity and inclusion efforts work, um, which is probably a, a, a good amount of the, the, where our clients are in their journey. Yeah. And then there's this sort of like social justice yes. school of thought, right? Yes. And so it has been really, really um, fulfilling for me just personally to support clients in understanding and mapping that intersection. Yeah. Um, when we think about, you know, how we're even framing up why we do the work, moving from language that's centered on like, you know, profit and just business case back to language centered around humanity, right? And things like justice and things like equity um authenticity right and so helping and supporting we've been doing a lot and that's kind of like where my energy and passion is especially um in this day and age just like really supporting leaders and understanding um this work sort of beyond the organizational gain yes so you know and like yeah. what this means for you know people you know yes yes um and um, it's been fulfilling to work with clients who get it or who may not get it but are interested in getting it, you know, curious. Right. Curiosity. Curious, all right, curious, um, we're curious about it. And so we do a lot of like virtual labs that kind of um, intentionally where we're pushing, you know, people out their comfort zones, right? Mm-hmm. Very deep topics, mm-hmm. you know, in the context of social movements like Me Too, in the context of, you know, socio-political environment, in the context of like conversations around racial injustice, right? So really pushing our clients to think about how, you know, as organizations, we're not in a vacuum and mm-hmm. all of this has everything to do with our diversity and inclusion or should equity work, right? Um, and um, so, yeah, that's been like where a lot of my energy has been of late because I think it's a really, really big necessary part of how we realize and yes. um, even like reimagine. Yeah. Work, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm so inspired by the work that you're doing and you're so aligned with when I'm talking about humanizing the workplace. This is what it is. It's the humanity. Um, and I, I always say this to my guests, I never want them to leave because we're having such good dialogue. Um, but being cognizant as we start to think about uh, ending today's episode, what would be a final thought that you'd like to leave with the audience? Um, it could be around if they were going to take, you know, one step, what would be a good first step or just whatever feels um, most resonant for you that you would like to leave with them for a final thought. Um, so if I had to leave um, some folks with a final thought. And so at some point in an interaction, whether it's with a colleague, um, whether it's with someone, I don't know, your family, a friend, um, you are going to be met with um, something you may not agree with, right? Um, something that perhaps you don't want to hear, 
something that is probably completely at odds with uh, what you believe in. Um, and I would actually offer, um, because this is a skill set, that as an opportunity for you to practice curiosity, right? And really ask of yourself, like, what else have you going on here? Why am I feeling this way? Um, you know, really use it as an opportunity to do that kind of like reflection and self-work. Um, I would also offer as an activity, right? Mm -hmm. If I could, yes. um, this is a powerful one that um, I, um, and it, it is not my own. And so I'll actually give you the link if you like to link it to examples. Yes, please, we'll put in the show notes. Um, and I'm having my team do this on uh, Tuesday as part of our, our team builder. But there's this exercise called I am from, right? And so the idea is that you are developing a narrative um, where you are pulling from your childhood experiences, your cultural scripts, your experiences in the workplace, aspects of your identity, and creating this narrative that starts with I am from and using it to make connections to how you show up, right? So you write this narrative. And then you start to do a lot of, you know, reflection on, okay, how does this show up in how I lead? How does this show up in how I connect with others? How does this show up in how I'm experiencing this day or time? It's an I am from narrative. I love it. I think it's a very good start point in being intentional about self-understanding. Yeah. When I say foster self-understanding, I'm not just saying, you know, think about, oh, what makes you you? Yes. And how does that influence all these other things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that'll be my takeaway. My, that'll be my um, takeaway for folks. If you uh, are encountered with something this week, practice the art of curiosity, like yes. literally. Yes. Curiosity over judgment. Um, you know, describe before you judge, right? Describe without interpretation before you judge. Like, what are you seeing before you judge? And commit to doing some sort of like self-understanding activity. This I am from one is a good one. I'll even link you to mine. I've completed it um, many, many a times. And it's always refreshing. Um, yeah. It makes you, it, it makes you hold yourself accountable to the things you know about yourself, maybe even some blind spots you may have and how it shows up in, in how you lead. Yes, that's fantastic. And we will definitely include that in the show notes. Um, Brittany, thank you so much for being here today. So much wisdom. Um, you explained it in such a um, articulate way that I think people who might have not understood some of these concepts understand them probably so much more clear in such a clear way. So I appreciate you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Kristen. Thanks, Brittany. And everyone in the world, we are sending so much love. Absolutely. 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 Be good to yourselves. Yes. Be kind to yourselves and obviously kind to others. Um, I do believe we are going to um, come out of this um, with some good. I Absolutely. There's so much learning that comes through experiences like this. Bye, everyone.